0: Welcome to Community Kickback
1: This podcast is brought to you Oxygen. You breathe it. And we need it.
0: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome everyone. This is our very first podcast of the Community Kickback series. I'm your host, Dennis Yu, and I'm here with my co-host and producer, Sean Brophy, who's gonna introduce to you our very first guest.
1: Here we have Sam Lilly, entrepreneur, who came up with a vision after completing a hike from Mexico to Canada. So thanks for tuning in, and here's our kickback. We're about to start up right now. So uh, Sam, tell us a little about yourself. So I'm 26.
2: I graduated San Jose State in 2015, uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Vendor. Uh, it's a community marketplace, it's a peer-to-peer marketplace for homegrown produce, we connect Home Gardeners and community gardens with community members looking to buy local produce uh, and it's free to sign up and free to sell your produce
0: yeah so today you came over um to Sean Brophy Sean just signed up on vendor as a grower yay and uh, and uh, so you just checked out his garden How do you feel about his garden? His garden is awesome uh, he's a, one of the youngest
2: growers that we've ever had sign up, which is awesome it's great to see that well, I'm 26 as well, so that us younger generations are picking it up. And there's actually been an uptick uh, in millennial growing, uh, according to the National Garden Association. They had a 2014 report that, uh, that showed that. Uh, incredible layout. The way he's got it, each of the plants specifically kind of put it in their own place. It's well walked. Uh, you can walk around it well. Yeah, there's like a path. Yeah, there's a nice, nice path. Uh, your irrigation system the drip irrigation system is well placed too it's real clean yeah
1: thank you i uh i have noticed a kind of uh revival of consciousness or an uptick like you're saying in consciousness towards healthy eating and i think that probably has something to do with the fact uh that more people at a younger age are growing i think there's a lot of uh emphasis on kind of diet and uh healthy lifestyle and that's really, It seems to be really important for millennials. I know it's important for me, and uh, I think the vendor platform is a great way for uh, communities to improve their eating habits and also develop better bonds for, with each other. Uh, I think it's a great thing, oh, Absolutely. and uh, I'm trying to do as much as I can to be a part of that.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you yeah. very much. Uh, Sean, how long have you been a grower? How long have you been growing your own food?
1: So. I was fascinated with uh, growing food uh, at a young age. I I think I started um, growing tomatoes and uh, tried watermelons uh, when I was like six years old uh, from some seeds that my grandpa gave me. And uh, you know, it was always interesting to me. It was just really hard uh, for the attention span of a six year old to continue uh, feeding and, and nurturing a plant. You know at a young age you kind of have all these different things that are going through your mind like sports and friends and and uh, butterflies that cross your path or dogs <laughs> And yeah. and it's really hard to like uh, You know every day water something and I think that setting up a drip irrigation line and um, and being able to just turn on a faucet and let the the water do the work for you is a really beneficial thing and it's kind of something I realized uh, at a later age uh, That I could that I could utilize and that's made it a lot easier and um I'm, I'm sure you know, like a ton of people uh, On the vendor system or in the vendor uh, System use the drip system and quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, you I mean in in Washington Would you say that's the most utilized? Re, um, method or would it be more like a hydroponic system? What? What do you... Uh, I've come across a variety of
2: different systems. A lot of them um, can be go from raised beds to in-ground planting. Uh, some drip irrigation. That is definitely really common. Uh, with, even with soaker hoses. Uh, we do. There are some... Um, actually, this part we could probably... Uh, there's actually been an uptick in permaculture growing. So yeah. a cool thing is is that you know, they use companion planting, and it's in ground. It's like kinda, a whole ecology. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole ecology. So there's actually some growth, at least where we are in, in Washington, of permaculture. I've seen some aquaponics, too, which are great with just at-home uh, fish tanks and chard wow. and kale growing yes. on top. That wow. was just really cool. I wasn't expecting that.
1: So, they're using fish to create nutrients for the root system? Correct. Interesting. What kind of uh, fish are they using or um, any other type of animals that are kind of interesting?
2: I believe you can use bass. Bass. Um, they just had regular fish in it. Um, you know, well, quite frankly, I don't know the name or the types of fish that were in the growers' yeah. uh, tank, but
0: uh, I've definitely heard bass. Interesting. Nice. Yeah, that's kind of how like how farming was back then. Like you had animals, uh, and uh, their their poop was not waste uh, as uh, we kind of think of it today. Um, their poop was the fertilizer, and that fed the plants, and the plants fed the animals. But what's your relationship with the gardening?
2: Yeah, my parents have always had a garden. At least growing up, I can remember from an early age. Uh, walking into the backyard and we had a bunch of sunflowers and some tomatoes uh and I remember just kind of like finding my way through these sunflowers uh but I never really got into gardening itself until maybe two years ago maybe a year ago um my mom's always at the side garden and I just thought you know I'll take a master gardener's class and see See what it's like. You know, yeah, I always just thought growing your own food food would be super cool.
0: Yeah, I've seen pictures of your um, your garden at your mom's place, and um, you know when I first started living with you, I never, I never saw you as like a garden gardening type of guy. Before Vinder uh, became a peer to peer platform for homegrown produce, you were originally trying to make a plant identification app. Correct.
2: Yeah, so I had this idea that, well, I wanted an app where I could just take a photo of a plant and then it would identify it for you. Because I, I was walking around um, San Jose State and I saw these different plants and flowers and I just thought, like, what is that? And I would call my mom, um, who taught plant identification uh, at Mesa College in San Diego. Uh, I would send her photos and I would say, hey, what is this? And then she would send it back, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, your mom's a uh, botanist, right? Or she uh, teaches landscape like- design, uh, landscape architecture, uh, and uh, she, an actual plant ID class.
0: I remember you were taking a bunch of pictures on the Pacific Crest Trail and send it to your to your mom to like catalog. Was that was that like uh, something you were doing with the uh, app development at the time? Yeah, I was trying to build
2: a database. So I was just as I was hiking, um, I would just take photos along the way and send it to her. She would tell me what they are, and then it was also creating a database. But it would have cost too much to develop, um, and so I decided not to, not to proceed with it.
0: Yeah, and I remember uh, last year when you entered into the Silicon Valley Business Plan Competition at San Jose State, you went in with this idea. And it didn't do so hot. Uh um, made it
2: to the finals, but placed last. Uh, yeah, out so of how many, how many people were in the
0: finals? There were eight in the finals. It's kind of crazy how in just one year you pivoted and you ended up winning this year's 2017 Silicon Valley Business Plan Competition. So I remember you told me that you went to a young professionals meeting in Port Townsend. And that's kind of where you kind of went back to the drawing board and redesigned your whole like business idea into a peer to peer market. You want to get you want to share share how that experience was like.
1: Sure.
2: Um, So first, Port Townsend is for those of you who don't, Port Townsend is for those of you who don't know where it is, is on the Upper Peninsula of Washington. Um, it's about an hour and 40 minutes from Seattle Northwest. Um, it's the county of Jefferson. It's a small, really cool, quirky uh, seaport village. It's about 10,000 people, average age is 57. Uh, deer walk the streets. It's, it's pretty cool. Was that all like the young people, basically? <laughs> yes, you could Child. say that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I... I moved up there first. I guess the reason I went up there because you might think, okay, well, you went to San Jose State, you're from San Diego. Why are you in Port Townsend, Washington? Right, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's yeah, it's a retirement town. It was marketed as a retirement town. Why would a 26 year old at 25 at the time move up there? So I guess why was I had over the summer that I after I graduated San Jose State. I hiked from Mexico to Canada on the Pacific Crutch Trail. It took five months. Uh, I solo hiked it. And so I got, I don't know, I spent maybe 80% of my time alone. And so I got used to talking to the trees and myself quite (laughs) a bit. Nice. Uh, I went back to San Diego after I finished. I got five months later, I crossed (laughs) into Canada and I came back to San Diego. uh, And I was kind of overwhelmed. I was claustrophobic by the amount of people. And I was there a month, and then I have family up in Port towns, and my mom lives up there, and she said, hey, why don't you come up and um, stay here for a couple months, readjust to society, uh, and then get a job in Seattle or San Jose, go back to San Jose.
1: Yeah, kind of take a break from the chaotic lifestyle, living up here kind of thing. Sort of. It was like an
2: ease back into society. You know, I had been away from it for a while, hiking every day, and it's just backcountry, backwoods. Uh, When you get put into a large area, a cosmopolitan metro area, like San Jose or San Diego, it's just a ton of people all around you. And I was used
0: to trees. I could identify with that. It sounds different when you go out there and it's all peaceful and stuff. And you come back, and it's just such a contrast to, to where you just were, and Absolutely. and you were out there for five months, and you probably heard some, you you probably went into town like, once every week or once every two weeks. So it's not like you never heard like a bustling culture, but but still like coming back into a metro. But you weren't near a metropolitan area, and right. that's just so different from like, you know, stopping by a small town to.
1: To re up on supplies. I mean from even from a uh a sleep cycle perspective, you're up at, you know, the crack of the sunrise. Three thirty. Going to sleep when it gets dark and you're up at three thirty? Yeah. Three thirty AM. Wow.
2: Yeah, in the desert. You, you can get up early because the sun's getting out, and you want to get an early start exactly. because it's super hot. It averaged about 100 to 105 every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. And
2: so there are 20 miles between water sources, so you know you have to make your 20 miles. Wow. So I'd wake up at 3.30, eat a quick breakfast, um, and then take off. And I'd have six liters of water with me, and I'd have to ration that for, you know, for the whole day and then i'd stop about midday 11 30 12 one o'clock uh and like crawl into a bush for some <laughs> shade uh and i'd sit out the sun in this bush or you know anywhere i could find some sort of shade put a tarp over the bush um unfortunately my tarp was black
1: so. oh you're and, getting all the sun yeah. just beaming on you it's
2: but um you know you, at least it's better than being in the sun directly you can put it get a little kind of shade, and you sit there, and you wait it out, and then you get back up at Very 4.30, true. hike on till 10, 10.30, set up, eat, get in your sleeping
0: bag, and crash. Uh, when you started your hike, that was in 2015? 2000, uh, it was right after you graduated. 2015, but I was 24. Okay, so that was like during California's peak drought year. Boy, yeah, so I watched was, a lot of that.
2: Wow, so you, you so saw I saw a lot. it. Whereas, but like, so there are multiple places in the desert and even in the Sierras, the Sierra Nevada mountains, a little bit, uh, where there were supposed to be water sources that are targeted on our maps as water sources, and uh, they just weren't there. And you could just see where these pools of water. would have been
1: wow that's got to be really frustrating when you expect to see a source of water after a long hike and it's pretty much empty i mean did you have to at any point like dig into the ground to try to find water (laughs) or do any unconventional methods to you know hydrate yourself
2: so it never got to a place where i showed up like so specifically what comes to mind is the desert because if you miss you know if that 20 mile water source isn't there You could be screwed because then it's another twenty miles, and you hope you better ration your water that well. Exactly, but that usually doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So, trail angels through the desert are incredible, and trail angels are just people in the community that know about the PCT and want to help out along these people's journey. Wow! And so so they'll chill in the desert. Well, they either live out there or they live, you know, a little further inland, and uh, almost like Sherpas, sort of. They are an incredible community. There, I can't express how grateful I am. Wow! Them. Shout out to the Trail Angels. Yeah, because they'll have water caches, and Piece they'll have tea. coolers out there with ice cold water, or ice cold wow. Gatorade, or some brownies. Or it's it's nuts. They'll pick you up from the trail. Um, you know, you can crash at their house, and it's just they'll donation give you pizza. based. Uh, they'll, yeah, one of them got us pizza. He worked at Domino's. Wow. Um, yeah, cooked us breakfast the next morning. Drove us around town to get resupply. It was super nice, super super nice, and it's all donation based.
0: Wow. Is that a, um, is a highly that a, a nonprofit well, organization, they or just
2: do it for free? It's, there are just people in the community that want to help out.
0: Oh, yeah. so it's not an official um, organization. Not that I believe. Like it if I type in Trail Angels, there's not like a trailangels.org. There might be. There might be, okay. But that could be a blog. Have to do some research Community. on yeah. how to... to there's a Facebook to, group. Yeah.
2: They're incredible people.
0: Yeah, I remember, uh, so you started from Mexico, and yeah. you hiked to Canada. And I remember you telling me when I met you halfway. You uh, at, me or actually, no, that's not halfway. That's like... 900 miles. So that's like a fourth... A fifth of the way to Canada, However, or something. It's like a third. A third. Uh, anyways, uh, you. I asked you. I was just so eager to uh, know how your uh, experience was so far, and I and I really wanted to know what the hardest, the like the toughest moment up to that point was. And I remember you telling me that when you were still in the desert, um, by somewhere in LA. In that area, your water bladder ripped. Yep. And it spilled water. What was going through your head when, though you you saw the water spilling out, and you're in a desert, and California is in a drought? Because I remember you telling me that was like the first point when you thought about quitting.
2: Well, that one that one wasn't the first point where I thought about quitting, but it. Definitely frightened me a little bit. Um, I didn't watch the how the bag broke. It was rubbing against a wire, the wire frame inside my backpack, the Camelback itself, wow. or I should say, water reservoir. <laughs> Unless Camelback wants to endorse this podcast, <laughs> then the uh, <laughs> we can say their name. Um. So I was walking along, and you know, all of a sudden, my butt was wet. And it was then it was, like, down my leg. So I was like, what is going on? And so I take my pack off, and I'm like, I, stick, you know, I can see it. It changed the color of my backpack. Um, <laughs> and I went, oh, shit, you know. I reach in, and there's a little hole. Um, but it's big enough where the pressure of the bag pressing on the bag, or the pressure of the backpack and all of its... Um, All the equipment that's in the backpack yeah pressing up on the bladder on the inside pushing the water out um and i knew i had a water source coming up and i could have my water you know and how many miles
0: was that going to be you
2: know i can't remember it doesn't matter um i mean within 10 was fine i could yeah um i think i had like three liters of my six left yeah, the hole was high enough up top, where I could store maybe a
1: liter of water in that one. Oh, uh, okay. if I
2: hung it out off the back of my backpack.
1: Oh, so wasn't it wasn't at the complete bottom of the of the bag. Yeah. Okay, that's good.
2: Yes. Um, so I slung it over the on the outside of my backpack. And got to the uh, the water source.
1: <laughs> as, he, as he takes a sip of water.
2: Nicely done. Uh, which was great because it actually turned out to be a pump, a water pump in the ground, which was awesome. Wow. Uh, and so what happened is I took my backpack off, and I had some, some rope in my bag, and I had trekking poles, and I thought maybe I could knit a hammock for, my, for the bag itself and just kind of let it hang, wow. right, so there's no pressure that would push the water up and it through the hole.
1: Homex okay. skills coming into play right there. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I probably should have paid attention more in home because that didn't work. Uh, yeah, that fell through real quick. Oh, man. I tried duct tape. I tried...
0: Um, you had duct tape on you during yes, the hike? Yes, I
2: wrapped my trekking poles with duct tape.
0: Oh, your handle.
2: Right below the handle, just on the, on the pole itself. I see. Yeah, that way I can easily have access to duct tape because it comes in handy so
1: often. Oh, Shoes, yeah. blisters, guts. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> duct tape is the most useful resource. I and think if anybody. duct tape
2: wants to, you know, endorse <laughs> this podcast, you should definitely uh, <laughs> give these guys a call.
1: Get that duct tape money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what I... And I tried with a lighter. You know, I thought maybe I can melt the CamelBank plastic. Melt the plastic. Exactly, and push it back together. And remold it Uh, well it just made the hole bigger so that sucked (laughs) and I'm thinking in my head I'm thinking okay I've got maybe another day two days through the desert but on a total of four liters of water per 20 mile stretch in 105 degree heat I knew I could do it but it's definitely something that's you think about it. You're like, man, yeah. okay. I'm, it's a big test on yourself mentally. Uh, and as I was walking, I'm, you know, I just kind of thought, man, i tried doing all this stuff. And I was, you know, there was some short, just for reference, this isn't like sand dunes, desert.
1: It was like rocks? This is rocky, high desert. Kind of Utah terrain kind of thing? Mm. <laughs> Southern California. Southern Cali- So um, Mojave. Uh- they, we did go through the Mojave.
2: Okay. Yeah. But even before that, uh, it's it's rocky. There are, let's see, that was pretty
1: unforgiving is basically what you're trying to.
2: It isn't un- unforgiving, but they had these trees. They So they had trees, but okay. it's not like, at least in this area, they had some trees. Yeah. There are definitely parts where there weren't any trees. Gotcha. Um, this part happened to have trees. Well, what I ended any long story short, what I ended <laughs> up doing was sticking my knife in the tree and taking out some tree sap. Wow. Yeah, and I coated the top of the camel pack, the hole, with some tree sap, and I let it sit, and then it hardened. I put another layer wow. of tree sap on like a, like a on resin. The, like a resin. Wow,
1: natural yes. resin.
2: Yes, and it held for two days. As I got into, oh, man.
1: <laughs> Take that, duct tape.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> All natural, Mother Earth. Yeah, uh, that
0: stuff is like hydrophobic or something like that, right? It like repels water. Isn't isn't that like what's, sap- I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what sap. Anyway, so you got into town, and then that's so when you held, got new. Into- yeah. uh,
2: I, can't, I can't remember the name of the town. You know, because you go through so many over five months. Yeah. So,
0: uh, you mentioned
2: that, that rock where they shot that, um, where's that, that movie Star Trek, the old one though, it's supposed to look like Mars,
0: uh, where they had those really terrible fighting scenes.
2: Yes. Though they were, I don't know if they're the same ones you're thinking of, but the rock is kind of tilted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's an iconic place. I I remember watching a YouTube video. There's a uh, town
2: right near there, and that's the town I had to hike into. And I, I had a re- I bought a replacement camel back there.
0: So the tree sap held
2: held though for two days.
0: Man, good for tree sap. I bet I bet like ancient people used that for a bunch of purposes.
2: I know they used it as gum. I think
0: Greeks. To, wow, to just chew on. Wow, um, so you mentioned that that wasn't the first time you wanted to quit. And I also remember you telling me that most people quit around that area if the they're desert. starting from uh, the Mexico border. Correct in the
2: desert, I think, because it's it's more unforgiving than the
1: Sierra Nevadas as I experienced. And each experience varies, you know. For some, yes. for some, you know, people can last with some people love heat. Yes, yeah, some people don't like elevation and altitude. As exactly. Opposed to heat and dry. So areas.
2: personally, the the desert was the worst for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, yeah, there there are a lot of people that drop out in the desert. So of which, the six people I met in the desert, yeah, I was the only one that finished.
0: Or that oh, that finished the PCT. Yes. Personally. Now,
2: wow. One of them was section hiking, which means only doing a portion. I see. Yeah. Um, The other five
0: were through hike attempts. So Yeah, so for people that don't know, um, a through hiker is a person that decides to hike the entire length of a trail in one attempt. And it's common for people because the Pacific Crest Trail is such a Such a long trail. Is that like the, what's, is there, what's the bigger one than the Pacific Crest? Is that the, is that the longest one? No.
2: There's uh, the Continental Divide, which is just Uh, over 3,000 miles. That one's like in the Rockies? American Dream Trail, which is like 6,000 miles. Wow. That's uh, east coast to west coast. Oh, wow. I believe like northern east coast to southern California. So the PCT
0: is like number three. Or,
2: um, how many miles so is 1500, it? Fifteen hundred. It's two thousand six hundred fifty-eight point eight. Okay. The, th- the three major, most often hiked, long distance trails I think in the U.S. are what they call the triple, the triple crown, and that's the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide.
0: I see. Which so is
2: Pacific Crest Trail, West Coast, Appalachian Trail, East Coast, Continental Divide, right in the middle, midish, sort of, midish,
1: midish, West. Yeah. Wow, coast to coast. That's along the eighty, or is that like a, uh, is that kind of uh, lower? I know you mentioned Southern California, um, the Continental Divide. Uh, it goes from the West Coast to the East Coast, but is. I mean what is that route like do you know anything about that Is it like more
0: along the northern uh northern half of the u s or like the southern southern half
1: so the continental divide goes
2: from Canada to Mexico uh, okay. it's vertical Wait, but you
0: said there was a trail that goes from like the
2: American Dream Trail Oh,
0: uh, okay yeah so is yeah. that like more on the northern part of the u s or it southern?
2: starts northeast yeah oh and wow so it starts all the way down to, to
0: Florida sea
2: southern california
0: oh sorry so okay so it starts in like maine that area i don't know the exact
2: starting point and i don't know what the route is like wow
0: okay wow yeah what i hear from what i've read on
2: i think outside magazine or backpacker magazine two people have done it wow two people period takes let's see you could probably do it in a year maybe a year and a half incredible I did the PCT in five months, Uh, so that's 2,600, and the Connell Divide, or the American Dream, 6,000, so 15 months.
0: So you were average, so for... I'd say 16, 17 months. For 2,000-ish miles, you had to, uh, in five months, you had to average around 20 miles a day, is that Correct.
2: Uh yes. at 20 25 miles a day. And you also prob- I started late so I wanted to get through the desert as fa- as fast as possible.
0: Now I remember when um we were roommates, you trained for almost like a year prior to doing this hike. Yep. I remember you woke up every morning around 6 or 7 a.m. and you just hit the that one machine what is what's that called the uh, stepmaster you just started you just got on the stepmaster and then basically by the time you were you came back home you were, you were pretty much laying on the couch <laughs> the entire rest of the day exactly. uh but how, how did you prepare like what are the other i remember you also um started a partnership with the American Heart Association uh to get funding for this project how much did it uh, cost the entire uh, project?
2: The entire project cost me, well, the entire hike cost me um, about $4,000. I didn't get any money from the American Heart Association. Uh, for the training, I was getting up at like 6 o'clock, and yeah. I had bought a 40-pound weight vest.
0: Oh, that's right. Wow. And from- look like G.I.
2: Joe <laughs> <January>. <laughs> every morning. From January until uh, I left, May 25th, I wore this 40-pound weight vest from the morning until night because I knew that my backpack would weigh about 40 pounds, so I needed to get my body and my back ready for it. And so I remember waking up at 6 o'clock, pounding some coffee and heading over to the library, San Jose State's library, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Library, and doing the stairs in the library because it's 9 or 10 flights, right? <laughs> Wow. And so what I would do is I would do stair by stair, and then every other stair, and then every two stairs. And I would do that up and down and up and down and up and down, and I would probably do it 20 times.
0: To what? make hiking a lot easier. You, yeah. Wait, hold on. You did, wow. you did the up and down 20 times.
2: Yeah, in the morning. And then I'd come back, shower, um, and then head off to class. <laughs> Wonderful. I go i like go grocery shopping in the vest and like yeah, I go to work in the vest,
0: and did you go to class in the vest? I didn't go to class in the vest that would have been that would have, have been pretty that. funny <laughs>
1: <laughs> now I mean all that exposure to the wilderness in in the p c t yeah um it obviously had an impact, huge impact on uh yeah. the business the you know your mentality for startup culture and and yeah. and vendor and um Was there a specific moment where you kind of came to a realization like, I really want to be involved in people experiencing Mother Nature and and experiencing uh, natural gifts that it has to offer? Uh, And, you know, how did that inspire the company?
2: Yeah. So I really learned a lot when I was out hiking because and it's something I apply to. How I run my company, how I run vendor, and how I like to lead. Mm. Um, I like to relate a lot of the two. So when when things got bad on the trail, mm. um, it was at a point where they could go really bad, sometimes life threatening, and that was one of those times. i one of the. One of the stories about quitting this, you know, the one time I thought about quitting uh, one of the times um, was in the Three Sisters Wilderness in Oregon. Uh, And this is right after Trout Lake on the on the PCT heading to Lava Rock Camp and then um, a youth camp. Uh, I can't remember the name of the youth camp after that. Um, And so when I left. Uh, trout lake oregon it was raining and so it was two days in the rain i went to sleep and you know my rain fly was on and but it had rained all day and all night so my stuff was wet it rained all more all night that night it rained in the morning Did you get foot <laughs> fungus or anything never got any kind of foot fungus which was surprising i like to you know i'd clean my socks at the laundromat in towns and then I had them on a rotation.
0: Oh, uh, okay. So you did and you I did had, laundry.
2: Yeah, and uh, I had sleeping socks too that uh, were separate okay. that I never wore on trail.
1: Um and so moments like those kind of inspired you to Well that was just the beginning. That's just oh, some rain. <laughs> yeah. Like I can handle
2: being wet. That's fine. So <laughs> I like woke up in the morning and made my coffee you know, and I had it in my tent, and I was kind of dreading the day. But at that point, you're—I was about two days in with two days to go. Uh, so, what you—you you just gotta get up and go because there's no way out besides walking. Yeah. You know, so it's you just put yourself in situations where you can't turn back. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I could, but it would just take up a lot of time. Two more yeah. days back, and then that's another. Or six days that you lost. You know? It just
0: feels really defeating, too, like, yeah. go, to so go So I back. got up, it
2: was raining, I packed up, wet, I took off. And about two hours in, it kind of got snowy. So that, you know, I had been through the snow in the Sierra Nevada Mountains. That wasn't too bad. I keep hiking. Snow gets heavier. I'm climbing in elevation.
0: Weren't your shoes also, you weren't wearing snowshoes or anything. You were wearing, like,
2: I was wearing uh, marathon ultra shoes, Olympus
0: huh? trail runners. Yeah, those had are probably nine hundred miles on them by the time I got
2: to the three sisters.
0: Yeah, those are uh, very uh, the fabric on those uh, is it's very soft fabric. It's not waterproof or anything. No, or any any anywhere close to water resistant.
2: Like running shoes.
0: Yeah, and um, I I actually um, have a pair. I just got a pair recently, and they're really comfortable. So I can totally see why. Um, is that the recommended shoe that most people? What do most people use for shoe wear? It was that year. Every year kind of changes. So everyone just kind of uh, accepts that they're gonna hit snow. Yeah. In those shoes. Or do people, people like? People bring... just expect to hit snow. Period. Okay, but are they wearing those shoes or like? Not are everyone. They... There's okay. a variety. Variety oh, of see. different shoes. Variety of
2: boots. You know. Low tops, high tops.
0: So, uh, so yeah. Um, so, continuing with your story, you said you were um, you were hitting. You were a blizzard so was coming well, your way. Well, the
2: snow's coming, and it's getting thicker. Uh, and eventually, like,
0: what time of the year was this? This is way after September. I saw you in Yosemite. Yes. Yeah, oh, okay, this is almost like you were basically like a month away from finishing.
2: Or maybe a, yeah month maybe and a, a, month. a half maybe a month and a half, okay, yeah, 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 so the snow started getting thicker, uh, and I couldn't f- see the trail too well. I couldn't see probably more than 30 yards ahead of me. Um, I got underneath a tree and reached in to grab a, you know some food out of my pocket um, for a snack. And I realized I was shaking. I had my down jacket on and a rain jacket on top of that. Uh, you wearing pa-
0: you're wearing pants?
2: I'm wearing pants, yeah. And running sh- in my ultras. And uh, I was f- wondering why I was shaking. Yeah, that didn't seem right. I was in a down jacket and I'd been moving. And so I unzipped my, my jacket a little bit. And I was curious to see if I was sweating. And I like stuck my hand in my jacket and pulled it out. And it was dripping wet. You're drenched. Yeah, so I sweated through my down, which so it stopped insulating. For those who don't know, wet down doesn't insulate, so it doesn't stay fluffy. It plump, clumps together, and you can't... It just doesn't keep its warmth. Yeah. So what can you do? I'm underneath this tree. I could set up shelter here. All my shit's wet, and it's going to put me back some time, right? Um And I could go back where I came, and that would put me behind time. Uh about I would get there, and I don't know how long it's going to snow. Or I can move forward uh, and try to get to my destination. So...
0: But you couldn't see the trail. The trail was basically gone. I could
2: see an outline. You know, I see this little... These, like, kind of rises on either side. I see. Yeah.
0: And you probably um, kind of looked at the geography... A little and bit. And use that as well to sort of generalize where um, the trail, like, if... Yeah, because you it, get like, used you wouldn't, to it. You wouldn't go through a thick, th- like, a thick... Um, Shrubbery and all that. Yeah, yeah right, right. Now. That's obviously not the trail. Right. So By that time, I was about,
2: you know, three and a half, three and a half months in. You mm-hmm. get used to the trail after you can like, right. tell what it's kind of like. Uh, so... I went forward and eventually saw some footprints, uh, human footprints. And I thought, oh, awesome. You know, I'm just going to follow those. So I follow those. I had put on, uh, uh, not a podcast, but a book on tape. Uh, What I decided to do was just kind of like focus, you know. Okay, what do you need to do? You need to move forward. Okay, next step, you know. What, What else do I need to do? Where's the goal to get to? Boom, you know, head down and grind. Yeah. You know, just kinda one step at a time. As long as I kept walking, then I stayed warm. What, I what about your feet? My feet were kind of went numb. They were swollen with blood, so even out of
0: the snow what? they would just they, feel numb. Okay, they were bleeding?
2: No, swollen with oh, blood. Oh on the inside. On the inside, yeah, because all the pressure and weight. Was that was that making making your shoes rip? Probably. That inside. and just the amount of use. I mean, my last pair of shoes took me 1,500 miles, and they shouldn't have. I should have bought a fourth pair. But, I, you know, I just kept going, and eventually I followed those, those tracks, and then it split off, and the PCT went one way, and the tracks went the other way, and I just followed that one and got to the campsite, and it was 20 miles. It turned out I had gone no, like, through, the, through the Three Sisters, the mountains, Um, and I remember being exhausted, just done, done with it, Yeah, I was, I was
0: swollen feet are no joke
2: that I fell a few times in the snow, which is nerve wracking because you don't know what's underneath it or how, you know, how your ankle's going to land. Yeah. You've got 40 pounds on your back. Um, yeah, if you fell, there's no, there's no way like anyone can.
0: There's no way like how how would you get saved if if you got injured?
2: Depends on the injury.
0: You know, but you can get medevac'd out. So, but
2: I didn't have a medevac uh, GPS though. I how just had my you, cell phone, which usually didn't have any range.
0: Okay, so if your cell phone has no range, how would you um, how would you call for help? A good question. Or would you just wait for someone to come on the trail?
2: I'd probably I'd probably wait for a little bit um most people are probably i mean i at that point i was also passing people so i knew people were behind me
0: oh okay okay you know um that's pretty reassuring to know that like you know you're kind of like ahead of this pack and in case anything happened um someone will show up someone might show up
2: you don't know where
0: they are oh you don't know if they like stopped yeah, they could stop in a town going for a to couple town.
2: days and, like, then you'll never see them again.
0: <laughs> like, screw it with the. Bl- screw they could leave the a few
2: hours ahead of you and you'll never see them again. Yeah. So, you set up camp. I set up camp and I was exhausted and I threw all my wet stuff in a corner and I collapsed into my sleeping bag and I shoved a couple handfuls of trail mix in my mouth because I knew I needed calories. Yeah. And I climbed into my sleeping bag and I shivered all night. I didn't sleep. I just laid there and <laughs> shivered all night and it sucked. And I thought this is brutal. You so know, it's scary you're alone and you're trying to go through this snowstorm and you're in the middle of the woods and you're either two days forward or two days back. You gotta make up your mind. You know, and I didn't want to backtrack because it would have taken too much time. I'd rather move forward. Yeah. You know, progress. And I had analyzed it, the area, and I felt confident moving forward, you know, that I could actually do it. If I didn't feel confident yeah, then I wouldn't have done it. Right, right. Um,
0: I don't think most people...
2: But I look at that, sorry to cut you off, oh, but yeah, I no. look at that, you know, and I and I relate it to Vendor. And I think if I ever run into problems with Vendor, at least I'm not in the middle of the woods, in the middle of a snowstorm, having to hike, you know, 20 miles. Yeah, it's not life-threatening. hypothermia or pneumonia, you know, like... Okay, so some people are gonna be upset. You know, if it's the engineers or if it's just anyone, just people. Yeah. Okay. And their needs are important, but it's not. You're not dying.
1: Yeah. You're not you dying. Know. You're saying your perseverance can get you through that, and can get you through any obstacle you come across when it comes to vendors. Exactly,
2: yeah. and that's a thought I had on trail. Yeah. Uh, also, that's your something pain I had tolerance. To, prove to yeah. myself, you know, if I could, if I could put myself through this. You know, in all these environments and conditions, right. and things I can't control at all, and push myself to to achieve something that to some seem unattainable and unimaginable, then I can do business. I could figure it out. And Eat. I've always loved business. I started businesses since I was six years old. Wow. I had a lemonade stand, and then <laughs> I sold, I found out that that was. Classic. Um, Uh, seasonal. (laughs) So it only sold in the summer. So in the winter, I sold hot chocolate and coffee.
0: Oh, there you Uh, go.
2: (laughs) I got kicked out of the San Jose State, um, library when, uh, for selling (laughs) selling coffee. (laughs) Yeah, because, yeah, because it was during finals week, during finals week, and the cafe shuts down at midnight. So the only place to go is Jack in the Box, which is a couple blocks up, you know, or 7-Eleven, which is a few blocks away. So I brewed coffee at home and took it in to-go containers and it's brought jack it into in the, the box. library. Oh, okay. Yeah, cuz I had to study for my finals and then I just tagged posters everywhere and little flyers on tables, coffee fourth floor. No you know, way. Left, That's hilarious. Left At the <laughs> elevator and I charged I 2 I bucks a cup. Those signs, dude. That what? I charged 2 bucks a cup. And uh, 2 buck cup. <laughs> yeah, and and the the uh, security guards came and got kicked <laughs> me out. They said I needed a permit. Wow! I asked them if they needed coffee because they <laughs> had to wake up, and they, I mean, not wake up. But they're a twenty-four hour shift, so.
0: they're like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take the coffee. Yeah, hey, they just, I'll you meet know, you I would around have given the corner it to her
2: for free. But they still escorted me out.
0: It's, yeah. like, it's like the police that just takes your stash and arrests you. Yeah. It was, it was,
2: <laughs> I did Sam's Super Pooper Scoopers, which was a dog poop cleaning service around the neighborhood. How old were you? That uh, That was maybe ten. I Old enough to not be scared day, of I poop. A, I shoveled poop for eight <laughs> hours, filling Trader Joe's bags. Damn. Yeah. Did you sell that poop? No, I just threw it in the trash can. Sold They're to like, a manure company. All it, all it was was shoveling poop into a bag and taking it out of their backyard. I got paid forty bucks, but I spent eight hours shoveling poop. I was just like, "Who'd you do that for?" Just terrible. Neighbors. Just one of the neighbors. Yeah, I never did it after that. Sean, <laughs> is this the first time you've gardened in your backyard here? So and. what what are you growing
1: okay so this is actually uh first full year that I've lived here and uh when I first moved in they had a smaller garden it was only consisted of like a few tomato plants and some basil and uh some bell peppers but um it really it really was just a small little square in the in the right corner of the yard and uh and this year rolled around, and I was like, you know what, like, that was really nice having extra tomatoes around. I really liked not having to buy produce. So, you know, I rented a rototiller and just tore up the whole back lot and uh, and kind of just expanded the the garden a little bit. And, um, and so now uh, growing corn and uh, still doing basil and tomatoes.
2: Um, what kind of tomatoes do you have?
1: We have some interesting varieties. There's uh, San Marzano, which are my personal favorite. They're nice and sweet. And uh, Roma, as well as Heirloom Tomatoes, which Dennis just informed. Well, those were supplied by Dennis, and he informed me that they're a specific variety. Uh, what were they called? Black? Um... I don't know. I'm not i am not really sure. Okay. Are they um, they Black Beauty? Black Beauty, not, Heirloom yeah. Tomatoes? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh yeah so now i have uh corn and um we're growing a ton of tomatoes and uh eggplant which i'm the most excited about cuz that's one of my favorite types of produce and as Same. as well as squash
2: yeah some amazing squash
1: some giant squash it it took off i di- i did not expect it to uh to really go as far as it, as it has i mean <laughs> i it's pretty early in the season i've already harvested some like 15 or or uh 20 squash um they're 20 all, yeah close to 20 i would say wow and, um, and how
0: many individual plants
1: so really only four plants wow in my backyard wow. and and these squash plants you know I've, I've seen video or like pictures of squash plants and i think it has to do with the amount of sun that it got but these things are you know two feet long you know they 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 took off and and they have big leaves huge leaves and they're they're just tall and and it's, uh, it's an interesting plant. I didn't really know. I learned a lot, you know, about uh, what it was like. And, and, and it turns out you can eat, actually eat the flowers, too. So I've been turning. I did a really cool recipe, actually, recently where I, I got some uh, basil and made some pesto out of it and then put some mozzarella and tomatoes uh, that I grew into awesome. a squash blossom and then just ate wow. it. Squash know? blossom of awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> squash awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and um and yeah, and it's just really nice to be able to do creative stuff with uh produce that you pretty much are only paying for the water bill for. You know, it's basically um as cheap as it gets and uh in my opinion, uh it's really. I have peace of mind knowing that I haven't had to use any pesticides and I know that it's not near any waste treatment facilities like a lot of the produce that uh, Californians and the rest of the country are getting. Do you, do you know what kind of or do you have any additives to uh, your soil? Yeah, so uh, yeah, a few amendments, which I think actually helped it um, as far as... Uh, nitrogen and certain uh i think there's a little bit more phosphorus and potassium. Use? I used uh feather meal which is just basically ground up chicken feathers and it's really cheap uh but it provides a really uh strong amount of nitrogen to the to the soil and then also bat guano which are wow. Yeah, some bat guano. That's um, rad. Yeah, some I I just got it in the seed distributor and spread it all over the uh rototilled soil and uh it 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 had it must have done something right because the squash is taking off the corn is doing really well and um and yeah the the amendments provide nitrogen fos uh what is it nitrogen calcium potassium and those are all good for leaf development as well as uh fl- like flower and and fruit development too so Those two things, baguano guano and and chicken uh, feather meal, uh, huge recommendations, huge advocate for those two things. When we were checking out your corn, uh, you were talking about pests. So what do you use to help um, with pests? What's interesting is when we were first, when I first moved into this place, uh, we'd have to have to deal with uh, caterpillars and aphids a ton. And, uh. What's, what's interesting about this year is that uh, you, uh, Dennis actually informed me that uh, a certain type of invasive species or parasitic wasps have uh, taken over California or have been introduced to California, this specific area, and uh, something... Is going on with these parasitic wasps that they're either eating caterpillars or killing them somehow because I haven't had to deal with any caterpillars and last year it was a huge problem for our tomatoes and um, just all the and and basil and and all these pests were taking over the little section of you know this a, a section of the garden that I had and uh, and this year I haven't really had to do anything I haven't had to do any pest control uh, what I what I is using other insects yeah, um, I used ladybugs, which was uh, which was pretty effective for aphids. And Seems then, like it'd be fun too. Yeah, it was nice <laughs> seeing all the ladybugs flying around and, and just take off. I'd be free. Yeah, um, and then oh, uh, actually, rosemary oil is um, really one of the most effective methods for spider mites. Do you you uh, make your own? Because I saw you have rosemary in the back. I'll put rosemary in certain areas, like it's next to the crops that I'm growing, but no, I just buy a bottle of pre-mixed rosemary oil, and I just instant spray bottle pretty convenient and just spray it around the base of the plants, and it it deters uh, spider mites, which are pretty much everywhere you go.
2: Do you use the rosemary planted in certain places strategically to companion plant?
1: Yeah, I noticed that the basil uh, that I was growing was kind of struggling from pests i wasn't exactly sure what pests were eating it but uh i transplanted it to a different part of the uh the different part of the garden which was right next to the rosemary bush and it seemed to do a lot better so i think that has some sort of correlation but i use the rosemary oil in the bottle pretty sparingly but it does seem to be effective so that's cool
2: yeah and you've never (laughs) seen any drawback from the wasps
1: uh I not I mean they don't seem like they're eating anything. It just seems like they're kind of just devouring the, the 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 smaller insects it mm-hmm. seems like. So I don't know if uh, there's any side effects like if they're if they're kind if maybe the pests that are they're eating are mm-hmm. play a, a vital role in the ecosystem but as far as crop production goes, uh it's it's actually pretty beneficial, which is which I thought was interesting. So what did you think about Vendor and like what motivated you to sign up? Okay. As a person that has always been fascinated and think how things grow, I thought that Vendor was a unique opportunity to basically develop a community. And I, as a person that's really exactly pa- what we're trying to do, yeah. And as a person that's really passionate about culture and uh, the people around me, uh, I thought this was a great opportunity to meet like-minded people and uh, and be a part of something that was bigger than myself. You know, I I think that uh, this has the opportunity to go worldwide. And um, I, I think that people are... I think there's a paradigm shift that's going on right now. I think yes. people are getting more, like I said before, more interested in what they put into their bodies and, you know, where their food comes from. And not only does... You know not only does vendor improve community relationship but it improves the health of the people involved which is i think the biggest part about it uh, uh pretty recently i decided you know i can't eat as or I cut back on meat uh i don't i consider i don't consider myself a vegetarian just because i think labels are pointless you know do what you want but as far as uh health goes i believe that um a more plant-based diet is beneficial it aligns itself with the paradigm shift that's happening really, really well, and so that's what I get excited about. Vendor for um, that's I, awesome to hear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, I, I think that it is a. Uh, it has a possibility to scale really, really effectively. I think that. Um, <laughs> I think that people can get excited about it not only from you know a health standpoint, but also. You know a social standpoint in in community building yeah community co- building could be uh, hey what's up neighbor to like oh what's going on you know it could be a big of a as big of a platform as you know Instagram or or, or some other you know kind of yeah social network yeah. Uh, but for the right reasons door. kind of
2: thing yeah next door for communication yeah. Airbnb to rent out your house yeah. your room uber to drive around a tour to rent a car yep. and vendor to get your food exactly. and the cool part is that um
0: you can do business with it and make friends there's like some there's new there's companies out there that connect like small farms to uh like csa boxes to customers but you never really meet the farmer you don't they're they they can be like 60 miles away 100 miles away you don't know 1500 miles away you don't know who you don't know who the grower is Mm -hmm. at all Um, and so vendor fills in this like disconnect that we we used to not have we used to just buy from we used to just eat food from our neighbors like not more than like 200 years ago or something like that Um, and then people in the world still do and like more rural parts of the world but at least in the industrialized um, countries we've kind of lost touch in our community and how that relates to food production. Speaking of food production on Vendor it's almost like a like a fate like every grower has their own profile every grower can put as many details as they want in their growing methods every grower can be rated by the community so you know if you're growing bad stuff then going to get a 1 star or 2 stars and no one's going to buy from you ever again. So that that creates incentive for people to kind of compete in a healthy way. Growers can look at other growers and be like, "Oh wow, look, he's using marine meal or feather meal or bat poop and I'm using I'm using all these uh, conventional like like miracle grow or whatever and I'm getting low ratings. Maybe it's time for me to to start buying some more organic fertilizers." Or get get me some ladybugs or something to deal with my pests versus just spraying uh, whatever, whatever,
1: whatever the hell people ground roundup, sp- roundup or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no when you go to a grocery store, there's no rating system. Like you just have to take the word of the grocery store.
2: That's why they all look perfect and have a little wax coating on them and look polished. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that I mean that has to do with how they're shipped, right? Like yeah, a lot of these companies are breeding these tomatoes or strawberries or whatever have you to get shipped it's not for flavor it's not to taste as good as it can it's to have the longest shelf life and that literally is you know going against the idea of flavor going against like what you want in produce you yeah. don't want something that's going to last forever you want something that's sweet and delicious and susceptible to rotting kind of yeah. <laughs> when you get
2: a when you get a strawberry off vendor you get a strawberry that tastes like a strawberry not it doesn't just look like one yeah you know there's, it's like candy. It's better than yeah. candy.
0: And it's freshly picked, right? Candy like,
2: can't even mimic what that what these strawberries have.
0: Didn't you? I remember when I um, listened to your pitch at the Silicon Valley Business Plan Competition. Yeah. You had a number or a time from what did you call it? From pick to, to door, dirt to door. That is the time it takes from the point where they pick the fruit or vegetable, or the, from har- harvest to the time that it's at your doorstep or in your yeah, or or on your table or whatever Or if you're picking it up yeah Yeah. and uh what what was the average time that you 30 minutes about 30 minutes and what was the average time for conventional um it can range between two weeks for lettuce or up to a
1: year for apples a year a year from the orchard where it was picked Um. to your table
2: Wax and cold storage
1: and yeah it's interesting because you see all this research and all these like time-lapse videos about mcdonald's and why hamburgers are bad for you because they have such a long shelf life and so many preservatives but i mean there's not really too many people doing i feel like studies or info you know kind of little videos about how long uh you know your produce takes to get to your door and, yeah. and why it's you know and as soon as it's off the vine it starts losing
2: nutrients yeah, you know, so uh, you know when you get one of those apples, you got the crunch, or it starts like changing. It'll change a little bit, yeah. yeah. Those apples, you get a crunch, but you don't really get much flavor, and you yeah. don't have much nutrients in them. When you get them through yeah. vendor, you like boom, crunch, right and it's right
1: just yeah, sometimes explosion of flavor. Yeah. yeah.
0: Speaking of. Uh, Speaking of dirt to door, we just picked two different kinds of tomatoes from Sean's garden. Like sort of this is a Roma tomato, right?
1: Roma and then, and then we what's also this one?
0: have some San Marzano
1: tomatoes. San Marzano. Which are my personal favorite. All right, so
0: I c- I just cut some up. And we're we're just going to we're just going to try God. them.
1: Yeah. Here, here Sam. Thank you.
2: This is here. which one is this? That
1: is Ro- Roma, right? Uh, yeah, I believe you yeah. have Roma. This one uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all one. Here we go. Wow, delicious! Wow, I taste all the sugars in it. It's almost creamy. Yeah, yeah. No acidity, I think, is like the key takeaway. Slice.
0: Yeah,
2: that's delicious.
1: I think it's. Uh, Juice. I think it's important that uh, that there's like a lot of nitrogen in the soil and yeah. uh, and a lot of uh, potassium because that helps the fruit and. What kind of basil well, is this? That is just uh, regular old basil. Yeah, pretty much regular basil. Have it it's not a try.
0: Oh, maybe I should have given you That's like a huge a slice of basil Whoa. with with a tomato. That would have been a cool combo. But I think it'd be cool to just
1: taste. Wow. Taste the uh, basil just so by itself. Try it. I just find like peace of mind in the fact that you know there's no pesticides used. That's really That's intense. It's so clean. Yeah, it doesn't.
2: The flavor is massive. Mm-hmm. And it's just clean. You Feel good eating it. Yeah. No. And you know, and if those who have kids, you know that you're serving your kid something that's extremely nutritious.
0: The best. Yeah. yeah. You. Well, know if the grower, if the grower that, is growing the best stuff.
2: Yeah. Can you say you know what's going into the vegetables you're feeding your kid now that you're getting at the grocery store? And no, sometimes when it when it says
0: like organic, it doesn't actually tell you exactly what the growing methods are. Yeah. Like if something is organic. Um, it does increase the transparency a little bit, but they don't actually tell you like what uh pest repellent strategies they use. Sometimes we use like um pheromones to um to kind of like mess with the insects, yeah. but n- not that like f- the uh, pheromones are leaking into the food. But it would just be nice to just know what kind of um techniques are being used,
1: yeah. And- or
0: actually, there are some pesticides that um are sanctioned by the organic certifiers. Yeah. And each one is different. Like, I know Oregon TILF ha- has, like, their own... The USDA has their own, uh, sp- like, specifications. So a lot of people might think that, like, organic has, like, zero... No pesticides or no herbicides or whatever. That's not true. That's wrong, yeah. Uh, there are ones that are... Um, they're basically discussed by... I don't know the, the gatekeepers, <laughs> to uh, for organic certification, and they kind of discuss
1: uh, which ones are like okay and which ones are not okay. Yeah, and there's and there's some things that even organic doesn't really uh, encompass when getting rated. You know, like uh, a case study that I read recently had to do with the fact that uh, there was a, a a way high like a a twenty you know. There was a much higher birth defect rate in um, a place called Kettleman City, which actually happens to be right next to some of the largest producers of produce in the in uh, California, which is well. That
0: place is right next to the hazardous waste disposal. Exactly. Of Calif- so that that place is
1: loaded with toxins. So it's not really so you can have an organic farm next to Kettleman City that doesn't account for the fact that. Uh, some of the oh, most hazardous right. from the environmental yeah. Pollution. So PCB fact uh, PCB PCB processing factories are right next to where you know ninety percent of America's produce is grown in California. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so you can have an organic farm right next to you know Kettleman City, and, and then they don't rating, they don't rate the they don't um take into account that the their neighbor yeah.
0: that their neighbor is like. Uh, incinerating
1: basically hazardous waste. Yeah, so it it can cover your food and seep into the groundwater, and supply the the water for the plants that feed your family. I mean, wow, that's. Uh, I don't it's know if I want to be a part of that. It yeah, is. exactly. Uh, so what's this next tomato that we're going to try? This is the San. That yeah, that's the San Marzano. San Marzano, and that is a little bit sweeter. Uh, and these are my favorites. These are. Whoa! here ones.
2: Yeah. Whoa, they are sweeter. Mhm. Totally different flavor. Wow. Interesting flavor. Wow. Oh man, that's good.
0: I'm gonna eat one with the basil. Yeah, a little Those
1: mozzarella. Fresh.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Tasty. Yeah. And I, just
2: grown. I'm. I'm looking at the garden from here. Yeah. Fifty but, feet,
1: maybe. You might be able to hear the wind uh, from the garden on this microphone. God, that is delicious here sam you?
0: try it try it with the basil
1: okay because you know how like <laughs> what, what's that
0: one uh thank you uh, tomato ba- tomato basil lettuce blt sandwich or whatever <laughs> wow it's a powerful combo huh
1: wow <laughs> all the flavors the flavors of the backyard You just taste how fresh it is. Wow, I think we've said wow like ten times. Yeah, is there a counter? <laughs> Get a little ticker. A wow counter. Yeah, I've uh, I've been. I started the tomatoes probably earlier than I should have, but the plant just got huge. And uh, same with with squash. I mean, as far as the squash goes, I I didn't really know what to do with it uh, when I first you know when I first picked them and I, I just thought I'd grow it just to give it a shot, but there's so many uses for squash And um, what I've been doing recently is, is coating them with uh, flour and then frying really thin sliced squash and turning them into chips and then using those chips Whoa. to scoop scoop guacamole dip. What? what? Yeah. And so I genius. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like this crunchy kind of like, not starchy flavor that you get from potatoes and potato chips, but kind of a crunchy, like satisfying uh, flavor to it and um, and you grew it. Yeah, I grew it and I was excited about it and uh, and you know like I also use squash to put into curry and uh, and all different sorts of things and uh, it's a lot more versatile than I expected it to be. Well, wow, that's more than
0: what I did with the squash that you you gave me the other day. I just sliced it up and um, boiled it because I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it still tasted awesome. I just put some uh, seasoning roasted. on it and then uh, kind of just ate it with some pasta. Was, I loved it. Um, I've actually never even cooked squash before. So you kind of just like gave me a new experience. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people on Vendor, buyers on Vendor can... Um, can acquire is like a new experience with a new vegetable. Well that's what Um, the whole
2: definition, vendor, the true definition of vendor is someone who experiences the world around them through their senses. Your sense of taste, your sense of touch, sight, how the vegetable looks or the fruit looks, how it tastes, how it feels, you know the sense of community you get knowing you're a grower and being able to pick it up from the garden and seeing the garden in which your food is grown.
0: So, is that from German?
2: I'm not quite sure. No.
1: Sounds like it might. So we all, we all love the fact that Vendor is focused around the community. We love the fact that it, it provides fresh um, produce to people in the area. Um, but I'm curious to see what are the next steps? Where do you plan on this going? What, what would you like to get people to get out of it? And, uh, yeah, what are, what are, what's next?
2: Yeah, I'd like to really see this go nationally and then globally. You know, I would love to see communities being able to come together again over their food. You know, reconnecting with people you don't know, maybe three blocks away. This, this system's not new. We've been yeah, buying stuff from our neighbors since the dawn of capitalism we've been trading before then, you Since know. It's like
0: chimpanzees almost, merchant days.
2: Yeah, nothing's changed. It's an old system on a new platform. You know, new technology. But it's we've become so disconnected with our neighbors. This allows us to get back with that, you know, reconnect our community and really build it because you know where your your money's going. It's yeah. staying local. Yep. So it's just creating a money multiplier
0: effect. Yep. That's the whole point of this podcast, too. That's the whole point of the community kickback we're trying to connect local community members with each other and just find out what we do um a lot of people don't know their neighbors or they have no clue uh what they do how they contribute to the community and a lot of people do really cool stuff a lot yeah. of people are um you know people that work in utilities they pretty much get left out in every like like nobody knows the dude that uh Checks up on uh, your telephone poles or uh, electrical, um, gas your gas lines. Like N- who? Who is that guy? Nobody knows. But he could be a gardener. Yeah, and he could, he be, be, a could be a gardener. So, you, know, like, you don't even how, know.
1: How bad do you feel when you get food that you can't eat? Yeah. Out there? Uh, so you're saying, as far as like pests or uh,
2: or it just it just goes to waste. Like you can't uh, eat yeah. it all.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you, does it bother you? Yeah, I mean if it if I don't eat certain things fast or if I don't get to them fast enough then you know that's a lot of waste and it's kind of all my effort goes into essentially just throwing something away. And I mean like if I can I want to try to avoid that and if I can feed somebody at the same time that's amazing, you know? That's and and
0: make some income
1: and make some side make some money. Side hustle. Yeah, just
2: kind of goes back to paying the water bill. Yeah, you know, or pay. We all all got to pay for pay for our bills. You know, subsidize a little bit, and you get to give, you get to feed another family member, another someone else in the community.
0: Yeah, I don't see another like win-win-win system uh, with this type of flexibility. You you do make money, yes.
2: Yeah, but it the primary goal was just to kind of help yourself or help subsidize the cost of gardening and with and taking that waste that you hate seeing it's rotting yeah and being able to redistribute
0: it like that that's what it was really that's what it is built for excess produce
2: yeah helping out the community and you know helping out with your own cost Mm -hmm. you know you do deserve to be able to subsidize that. If you grew it, you put in the time, you put in the work. You're the one that paid for the water that went out there and weeded. Yeah. You know, that, that really, it's a, it's a big
0: responsibility to have a garden. It is. It's a big responsibility. I tried tried gardening at my place and boy, you cannot leave that thing alone for more than four days in the summer. Yeah. Things just die. (laughs) They get fried. And it's too hot here in San Jose.
2: Some people love their gardens, you know, and they will they put so much into it. Like, Sean, you, from what I can see is, like, you love this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never had more clear thinking, I think, doing anything. Uh, I would say, okay, so there's three things that I think that provide the most clarity in my life. I would say gardening, biking, and making music. And yes. <laughs> I mean, like, those, I could literally do... One of those things every day for the rest of my life. And I think be content. And uh, Sam, you posted something pretty recently, something along the lines of, uh, you know, gardening is a lot cheaper than therapy and you get tomatoes out of it. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I thought that was hilarious (laughs) and completely accurate. You know, like I think that there's nothing wrong with therapy, but it's really therapeutic to be able to garden. and And, you know, create something and uh, and be able to feed yourself. Me and
0: Sam went to uh, San Francisco uh, two days ago and uh, we visited a bunch of uh, rooftop uh, gardens that skyscrapers have now created and they're all like public access. I don't know if this is like some sort of movement that's going on in SF, but I I really love it. pretty cool. I really love it. We We visited like three of them. The Fairmont had like two beehives pollinating all their flowers.
1: Yeah. I think there is a movement towards uh, urban farming. I think there is the urban fa- urban like rooftop farming for farming's sure. For. Yeah, absolutely. rooftop farming is a big thing. Look yeah. at um, uh,
2: the Brooklyn Grange, Grange on the East Coast. They grow on the rooftop. They grow a lot yeah. of like spinach and lettuce, high turnover items. Yeah, and it's super beneficial to the to one the community because they get access to fresh produce that's local. Right. It yeah. also benefits the building itself. It's an insulator.
0: Yep. yeah uh green roofs um reduce the heat island effect and for those who don't know the what the urban heat island effect is it's when urban uh, areas with i forgot if it's lower albedo or high like albedo is reflectivity and when the uh, surfaces of the city have low reflectivity so if there's darker surfaces like, asphalt and, like, freeways and whatever, uh, the ground absorbs more uh, heat, and then it releases all that all that heat back into the surrounding environment. So cities, especially um, very urban areas, are typically a couple... De- or, like, up to, like, 5 degrees, 10 degrees almost, uh, hotter than their surrounding environment. And that's a huge problem because... Uh, I mean, everyone can agree that living in a very hot place just sucks. And green roofs are actually a very good way to... Like, making a garden on your rooftop absorbs also rainwater. You can collect the rainwater runoff. And when water runs off into uh, through the city and the streets, it picks up all those disgusting chemicals, all the car brake dust that's on the ground... The oils and, uh, you know, just whatever humans like put on the street. So,
1: so what you're saying is, it is it's improving the groundwater.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it prevents uh, pollution runoff. So sure. when you have a heavy rainfall, if the water uh, isn't absorbed into the uh, soil and it just runs through the street, it picks up everything in the street and then it deposits it into like the sewage system and then that just leads into uh the the wetlands of your like neighborhood uh and so for the bay uh that so sorry for the bay area that usually just all goes into the the, uh, the san francisco bay
1: For uh, urban farming that happens i think it's just a overall positive impact and there's places like detroit which are experiencing a huge, yeah, huge growth with urban urban farms and huge uh, movement. Huge movement and that like uh it builds the community. It uh you know, it's the same it's all the core concepts of, of Vendor and I think that Vendor could be the main tool used by these people to connect I mean, people in Detroit, people in San Francisco to rooftop farming. Uh it could be essentially the infrastructure of Communal farming, and, yeah, and it provides a
0: marketplace for areas that don't have a marketplace, yeah. like at all. Like a lot of these poor neighborhoods, food are, deserts. They are called food deserts because one, they don't have access to green um, They don't have access to like fresh food, and two, no one's sending food that direction either because, um, a lot of times, who wants to supply the, a failing pe- supermarket? Yeah, the people there they can't afford these things, so yeah. Vendor vendors of is such a great tool for these communities. Gets them away from McDonald's. Yep, yeah, it gets them away, away from, from seven, McDonald's. Get fr- some fresh stuff. Go away from Seven Eleven, yeah, uh, and figure out like uh, what's grown on in your growing in your neighborhood. I know there's a guy named Ron Finley, or known as the Gangster Gardener. Uh, I love what I love his work, and he's like. He inspires, like, many people in uh, impoverished communities to kind of, like, take back parking lots. They, like, transform parking lots. They transform, like, beat-up places. Abandoned Yeah, into, like, really crazy gardens. I, I just love how, like, that revolution is starting in nope. the poorest places in, in America.
1: Where, where you know, Motor City has failed, Um uh, Garden City shall Garden rise. City. There we go. Shall grow from the ashes. That should be some sort of slogan. <laughs> um, I think it's incredible. I think the the movement it ha- it's happening in Oakland. It's happening all Berkeley. over, all over yeah. the country. The Bronx, Seattle, Port where, Townsend. yeah, where industry is failing, and you know, Richmond, communities Virginia. are are struggling. Uh, local farmers are coming in and, and trying to save the day, which is. Yeah. I think and, is incredible. And I don't. I
2: think you can't think of the farmer like you used to be able to. No. No, yeah. farmers no longer, you can't think of them as people on tractors pulling like acres and acres of land. Now, there are yeah. some.
1: Yeah, I mean, there I'm not wearing overalls
2: right now, you know. No.
0: But
1: <laughs>
2: the,
0: the farmers of today and of the future
1: are growing
2: food on rooftops. They're
0: also DJs and music producers.
2: Yeah. they're they're everyday people they're growing in shipping containers they're growing in empty lots in inner cities they're growing in their own backyards like Sean you know innovations in local ag have skyrocketed lately Mm -hmm. and what Vinder does is connect these agro innovators and home hobbyists with fellow community members boom getting a local feel to it connect with your community connect with someone else who takes it up as a hobby they love it, it is their passion Build a healthier, stronger community Mm -hmm. and a transparent and environmentally friendly agricultural system.
0: So if there's any growers out there that want to get involved and do not want to see their extra produce rot, how do they get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, they can just go to VeggieVendor.com, V-E-G-G-I-E, V-I-N-D-E-R. Uh, and sign up. It's free to sign up, and it's free to sell your produce. If you mark your produce for 5 bucks a pound and you sell a pound, you get 5 bucks. Uh, or, you know, you can even contact me directly. You can contact me at sam at I'm more than happy to talk to you. We can call over the phone. Sean and I had a phone call uh, when he first signed up. Um, we can have a Skype call. We can talk over coffee. I'm more than happy to talk to you. I can answer all of your questions. So feel free to reach out or sign up veggie vendor.com. you know what vendor we're so organic we're causing a nutritional pandemic
0: <laughs> i like that so
2: healthy we're curing penicillin
0: all right well i think that's all the time we have thank you very much sam for joining us for our very first community kickback back, Woo! Back. Woo! Uh, we will see you guys next time thank you very much for having me it's yeah. been an incredible time